when we looked at it, we were like, okay, wait a minute. Now we've got a plant-based healthy product with lower fat, lower calories, a great substitute to a comfort food that a lot of people love in a very big category. It just, the story has to be told. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, we sit down with Craig Entwistle, who's the CEO at PB2 Brands. Craig, welcome to the show. So I want to start with the founding story of PB2. Can you tell me more about the business and the brands? Sure. There was a gentleman, his name is JC Bill. He was the founder of the business in 2007, and basically... He figured out how to take peanut flour and uh, create a powdered peanut butter and started the business and branded it as PB2, the two being kind of the alternative to peanut butter, and went out and started pressing it in the trade and built a business with people that were into health and fitness and workout as a protein solution because it was high in protein and it tasted really good. And people were starting to use it in their smoothies and shakes as a substitute or as a complement to whey because whey didn't taste so great. And that was the beginning. And in 2017, he came to me and said, Craig, I built this business. And I really am not a businessman. I'm a kind of an innovative, creative guy, and I need a business person to come help me run it. And so I came over in 17, and uh, we have now basically rebranded the company a little bit. He had a, a different name to the corporation. It was called Bell Plantation. His name was J.C. Bell. And it just didn't really fit in the marketplace. So we re- reincorporated as PB2 Foods. And Mr. Bell is was a board member. He's somewhat retired. And we have a new team running the company. And we've been actually buying stock from him. And the company is now mostly owned by the employees and the board. We own over 50% of the company cumulatively. So it's been an interesting transition. And it's been a, a lot of fun. So when he originally approached you about the business, what was it that excited you? And you know, what opportunity did you see to disrupt the peanut butter and snack industry? Sure. So Mr. Bell, as innovative as he was, he was not a consumer packaged goods guy. He was more of a, I called him like a bit of a mad scientist. He loved inventing things, but he really didn't understand the challenges of, of the consumer packaged space. So when he came to me, he'd kind of plateaued his business. And in fact, it was somewhat starting to decline because he just didn't know how to grow it. And we obviously, the team that I bought with me, we had a lot of consumer packaged goods experience. So we came and we had to do a little cleanup. There was some debt that he'd created and it was just a challenging time for the company when we came in. To answer the question, what was attractive to me and ultimately the the team that I bought with me was the brand had tremendous loyalty among health people that were very much focused on plant-based healthy foods. And so you had a, you know, here you have a, you know, a relatively small company, but had a really loyal following and really good equity. Secondarily, Mr. Bell, and I mentioned he was kind of a creative genius. He was also willing to invest money in equipment and he had built a phenomenal facility. So we had a 110,000 square foot processing site that was well run and capitalized and was well built, but he didn't, you know, it wasn't running, but maybe 20% of the time because he just didn't know how to fill it up. So good brand equity, an awesome processing site, a product that was plant-based and a product that tasted good. I mean, those were all really on-trend situations and it had lots of room for growth. So that was what attracted me initially. And then he also was willing to share some of the equity with me and then ultimately allow me to buy more equity. So it was, you know, after 30 years working for a major CPG corporation, I was obviously well taken care of, but 
this was more attractive because I had the opportunity to kind of control my destiny and, and have some ownership in the company. So as you look at this category, you know, peanut butter is a massive, massive category. What do you think yep. is so revolutionary kind of about the powdered peanut butter? And how are you driving that habit change for people that have one way that they might think about peanut butter itself? Sure. So peanut butter is obviously a very tasty ingredient that you can use in a lot of different ways. However, it has a high fat content and a lot of calories. And it also is messy when you cook with it or, or, or use it in a, in a recipe. It's hard to clean because of the oil. The uniqueness of the product is that it it's basically oil-free because the oil has been pressed out of it, has a phenomenal taste, has a high protein content, and has a lot of versatility. It can be used in baking. It can be used in beverages. It can be used in blending smoothies and shakes. It can be used in an assortment of different applications. So when we looked at it, we were like, okay, wait a minute. Now we've got a, a plant-based healthy product with lower fat, lower calories, a great substitute to a comfort food that a lot of people love in a very big category. It just, the story has to be told. So we've spent the last three and a half years working on new innovative items, new distribution, and really through our e-commerce platform, we've been working on communicating the story and getting the story out. It's a lot of it's awareness. You'll talk to people about powdered peanut butter. They go, what is that? And you just have to educate them. And once you educate them, people are like, this is brilliant. You know, I never knew it existed. Where does it sit in the grocery store? So a lot of our opportunity looking forward in front of us is to drive awareness and also drive placement and new innovation to keep bringing people to the space. So that's where we spent most of our time, energy and effort. So talking about those new products that you've come out with, how is PB2 aligning the business to meet these consumer needs and demands? Sure. So over the course of my career, you do learn that if you're not innovating, you're dying. You've got to continue to freshen the assortment and bring new new items. Now, we do have three or four items that are the anchor items that are solid, but we've continued to try and find ways to bring newness to the space so it's not just a powdered peanut butter and a powdered peanut butter with chocolate. So we've bought to market some products that have pre and probiotics added to the formula. We've launched a line of products that are higher in protein that are made with no sugar because uh, there's a, a significant sensitivity to sugar. And so in the processing site where we blend and jar different powders, we've very creatively taken the original formulas that were just a peanut butter substitute, and we've strategically enhanced them with, with healthier versions, and we've also taken those versions and made them higher in protein and moved them over to the supplement aisle. So we're not only just sold in the peanut butter aisle, we're now sold in the supplement aisle. And we've realized that the PB2 brand is transferable. So now as we innovate, we're looking for new platforms that can leverage the strength of the brand. And we still have lots of opportunity to build awareness on the brand. So it's an exciting time for us. Obviously, we can't innovate too many platforms, but we can innovate within platforms. So in the powdered peanut butter aisle, we've got innovation. In the supplement aisle, we're bringing innovation. And ultimately, we're moving into a, a new space, which is going to be That'll be announced maybe in about five months' time where we're going to actually go into the, into the space where bars are sold. So we'll have a PB2 healthy bar that's got high protein and tastes fantastic. And ultimately, from there, we can innovate into beverages. We can innovate into all kinds of different places in, in time. So, uh, you know, you can think of like RTDs, which is a, a ready-to-drink Tetra Pak drink or some whatever container application you want to use. But I guess what I'm saying is we will continue to innovate and grow and place the brand in good complementary spaces, if that makes sense. 
It does. And when you think about those complementary spaces, walk me through how you as the brand owner kind of think about an adjacency and whether it's right or wrong for PV2 to move into. No, absolutely. So there was a lot of talk about dog treats. Dog treats are the number one flavor in dog biscuit treats is peanut butter. So we were being encouraged to make a PB2 dog treat. And I was like, you know, guys, that adjacency might not be the right one. I'm not sure we want to put a food brand in the pet aisle. So, you know, those are the kinds of conversations you have to have. I look at our core consumer. We do know who our core consumer is. It's a woman. And now we're bringing more men that are health focused because of the supplement aisle. So the brand started resonating initially with women 20 to 45 that were looking for healthy foods that were looking for weight loss or a more healthy uh, diet. So that was where the original Genesis started. And that was our core consumer. Now we're starting to get, we're focusing on attracting uh, healthy men who are looking to get more protein in their diets. So we've, we've looked at where the brand resonates. And so if we're going to go into an adjacency, we want to make sure the adjacency can leverage the core shopper that we have. So those are the things we do. You know, one of one of the things we could do is make an ice cream, but I'm not sure that's a healthy product or a healthy alternative. So, you know, we've kind of looked at different spaces within the box and said, you know, where are the right places? And we do spend a fair amount of time looking to make sure we go to the right adjacencies. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates partner with Hunt Club. When you think about those spaces and where you want to merge, you also have to defend your core. And whenever you have a successful product like PB2, competitors are going to pop up and copycats. How do you think about that defending who you are and really differentiating in the mind of the market what your brand stands for? So the point you made manifested itself about seven years ago. And when we came in three and a half years ago, there was a full-fledged war going on over the brand and over the powdered space. A company called Better Body Foods created a product called PB Fit. PB2 had been registered and trademarked, but because PB is a generic term, we couldn't really stop them from going to market as PB Fit. So today we have a competitor called PB Fit, and we obviously the, the two companies are fighting over share. And we innovate, they innovate, and uh, candidly, their product's good. I mean, they're a good competitor, a good company. So we've had to be creative on how we deal with them, where we spend, and how much we spend, and where we innovate, and who we partner with. And it's kind of an interesting situation where, you know, everybody else has tried. I mean, Jeff had a powdered peanut butter, their peanut butter and co., and there's a bunch of other little small companies that came up. But in the end of the day, there just wasn't enough space for that many powdered peanut butter brands. So we fended off almost all of the new entrants, and candidly, we have one left that we're continuing to do battle with, and we're very conscious of what they do. They're conscious of what we do. They have an e-commerce business. We have an e-commerce business, and you know both companies are you know going to do what we have to do to compete with one another. But yes, the funny part about this whole conversation is many consumers think that PB Fit is a sub-brand of PB2, even though it's a competitor. So. 
you know, we're very respectful of them. They're a good competitor, and we, you know, we continue to do what we're doing. Our share is growing exponentially. We've been up double digits now for two years in a row, and we just continue to do the things that we need to do and look for the areas where we can grow and compete with them. And, you know, at the end of the day, the, the, the space might be a two-brand space. There might be a little bit of private label, but, you know, at the end of the day, it might just be a two-brand space, and that might be something we both have to deal with. So when you're approaching, you know, this category, you have the, the broader category of peanut butter, and as you mentioned, you have the smaller category of powdered peanut butter. How do you think about market share versus growing the category and growing more people that are adapting and using powdered peanut butter as a form factor? So since COVID, peanut butter has done extremely well. It's been, I guess it's a comfort food. It's shelf stable. And, you know, obviously people went through that whole process of trying to figure out, you know, what they were going to do because they, were no, they weren't going out. They were preparing more meals at home and pe- peanut butter was a staple. So you, you had a lift in the category automatically just because of COVID. Well, that has kind of now worn itself out and, you know, you're comping against those numbers. So um, that lift last year is now a, a, a comp issue for most manufacturers and retailers. In that whole broader space, the one brand that continues to grow at double digits is PB2. And, I, and I, that's a testament to some of the things we've done as a team around gaining new placements, bringing new innovation that is a good adjacency and not a dilutive item. So, I mean, if you just bring a multitude of similar items, that doesn't mean you're going to lift the category. So, yes, we're a smaller player in the peanut butter aisle, but of all the brands in the peanut butter aisle, we've been kind of a bit of a star and our data supports it. And and we've had uh, double-digit growth now two years in a row, as I mentioned. So, when we look at a retailer and we talk to a retailer, you know, it's, it's obviously like, hey, listen, these are the things that you may want to consider in your category. And these are the items that we think are complementary and not dilutive. So, We've done a pretty good job of making those suggestions and executing against what we've suggested and delivering. So when you have momentum like that, it's a, it's a very powerful thing. Now, on your professional side, you've, as you mentioned, you've spent over two decades kind of in the big corporate side. What do you think holds back big corporates from being able to innovate in new spaces? And as you mentioned, Jeff tried to enter the category, but unsuccessfully. You get into what's, what I would consider corporate metrics and objectives. And so if something's not going to be an immediate home run or deliver a significant lift, it's very difficult to lean forward in a bigger corporation. It's so much easier just to keep investing in what's, you know, what's worked. And I think it's a terrible trap. When you're in a smaller entity, you can test and learn and you can, you'll accept a lower threshold in a trial. And we also don't have a process that I would call restrictive in the sense of what are all your ROI metrics? What are all these other metrics? You know, we look at it and we are like, okay, guys, what's the cost to make this thing? What's the cost to place it in the distribution? How much trade are we going to put behind it? And we can make a decision in 24 hours. That's a completely different scenario to a larger corporation because of, I think, what I would term are internal metrics that create barriers. And I think the processes that companies have to launch a new item are so restrictive. And I think that's what gets big companies in trouble. So if you look forward, you know, five years, 10 years in the future, where do you see PV2 going? I'm not sure I want to look that far out. So I know that sounds really crazy. I, today, we, we obviously look in 12 months out in the short term, and then maybe three years out is as far out as we're looking, primarily because we're investing all of our profits into growth and into the right strategies to make the company grow at a faster rate, which is what we're, what our ultimate goal is. So I guess what I would share with you is in three years' time, my expectation is that we'll be, 
financially a significantly larger company, we're probably going to reinvest as much as we can in growth, in new innovation and new platforms. So if you were to ask me where we're going to be, we might have an adjacency that doesn't work. We might have an adjacency that is exceptional. But we're going to probably innovate two to four items every year. We might have those in our base platforms, and we might have them in some new secondary platforms. We've been successful in the peanut butter aisle. We've now been successful in the supplement aisle. And we're now starting to to look at other places for tests. So in three years' time, I would like to have at least three to four placements within the broader box, I would call it. And they may all be at different stages. But, you know, sometimes if they're not growing at the right rate and they're not making the, the right impact, you've got to retrench and move on. But so far, so good. We've been very planful and we've gotten good business partners, customer partners to, to sign up to do thing, new things with us. And so I, I look at what's made PB2 successful, and that is, yeah, we've got great product. We, we have healthy products. But we also bought with us a tremendous portfolio of customers. And we have been able to strategically talk to them and say, let's talk about where you want us to go. So the adjacency in, in uh, the supplement aisle was driven by a customer. The adjacency that we're going to do in the bar aisle would be driven by a customer. To me, that's a lower risk way of building it. So in three years' time, I think we'll have three to four platforms that are doing quite well. So you mentioned there that the customers are driving you and it's within the aisles and within the box. The last year has seen tremendous growth in e-commerce and you know many brands looking at direct-to-consumer. How do you balance that omni-channel approach of the direct-to-consumer with your retailer partners that help get you where you are today? So we went uh, direct with Amazon and with a number of our e-commerce customers. And our e-commerce business is up. It's the largest growth element of our business. So I don't want to imply that we have not invested and focused on that. And it's been a meaningful growth vehicle for us. Having said that, we have differentiated our portfolio between our direct-to-consumers and our retail partners. And I don't want to have us lean too heavily one way or the other. We've got to look at each individual segment and or each individual customer type and figure out how do we fit in that mix? What is the right portfolio? What is the right pricing structure? And let's make sure we don't compromise uh, club to retail, to e-commerce, to drug channel, to others. And let's make sure that we are wise in how we promote and wise in how we price and wise in how we take it to market. So those are things that we've been very cognizant of. And you know, a lot of small entrepreneurial companies don't know how to balance all of that. And I think we've done a pretty good job doing it. And all of our key pieces of business are all growing. So that's exciting. Well, Craig, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk about the really interesting story and journey that you've been on with PB2. Thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. And by the way, the team that came to work for me are all young and excited. And it's very refreshing. I guess I'm the only old guy on the team, but that's okay. We're, uh, we're having a lot of fun doing this. And when you own a portion of the company, that makes it so much more worthwhile. That is the gospel. Well, thank you again and uh, best of luck. You have a great day. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.